What you're about to listen to was recorded live, and it is not good, and you probably shouldn't listen to it. But we're going to put out an episode, because if we go three weeks without actually publishing an episode, then we might as well just quit doing the podcast. So, uh, here you go. Say something. Something? Do you need me to turn my volume up on my end? Or are you going to make adjustments on yours? No, you're fine. Everything's fine. Okay. Okay. And we are going live, right? Yeah. I don't know why at this point, but yeah. Okay. Let me... (laughs) I'll need to mind my manners. Yeah. We're going live in three, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, live for no one to watch. Okay. Hello and welcome back to Rotten Righteous, Mash and Sackcloth, the only podcast that proves that the best things in life might be free but so are some of the worst things. Mm. Mm. Here, here. With me tonight, as always, he's drooling and dripping all over the place. It's Scott Judge. Yep, and that was our show. That ended it. That killed it. I'm done. I quit. We had one listener, and they, they turned us off. Yeah, I don't know why in the world you made that noise. Uh, but uh, Well, I was, I was drooling. And me, well, I'm just still sorry we're doing this. Now I'm sorry for doing it live. So you can feel my sorriness uh, in person. And that's right, we are live. We're all uncut, which just means it's going to be worse. Than it normally is. <laughs> is that possible? Yeah, because every every week I just go through and cut out silences, jokes that didn't land, and and just try to to shorten it up. But uh, well, I'm not doing that this week. Boy, jokes that didn't land. Yeah, I am uh, guilty of a few of those. Hey, Scott. Yes, Zach. Do you want to hear about the five most ridiculous ways people have died in history? Uh, I sure do. All right. Don't be looking this up because your reaction is what sells this. Okay. Okay. Number one. uh, Brunau am Inn, a town in Austria bordered by Germany, is famous for two people. One is Adolf Hitler, who was born there. The other is Hans Steininger. The town's mayor in the 16th century. The townspeople would probably prefer to highlight the latter. Hans Steininger was a well-liked mayor. He famously had a long and well-groomed beard, around 137 centimeters, or four and a half feet. 
that stretched the ground. He usually kept it carefully rolled up and tucked in his pocket. However, on September, uh, or in September 1567, there was a big fire in Brunau Am Inn that made everyone run around in panic. Amidst the chaos, High Stinginger's beard came out of his pocket and started flying loose from its usual confines. As he was running down the stairs, Hans stumbled on his own beard, tripped. Consequently, he fell down the rest of the steps, broke his neck, and died in the process. This made him the man who was killed by his own facial hair. Wow. So the thing that he had that was so remarkable, so neat, in the end it killed him. Right. Hey, have you ever heard of... uh, Tycho uh, Brahe or Brahe? I don't know. No. We're just going to call him Tyke. Uh, Tyke was a famous Danish astronomer from a noble family that lived in the 16th century. He was rewarded an island from the Danish king where he built two observatories. On that island, called Vin, uh, the astronomer made many observations and discoveries, even at a time when the telescope wasn't invented yet. Uh, relying solely on his eyes, navigational instruments, and math- or mathematical calculations, he was able to discover over a thousand stars, including what we know today as a supernova. However, in 1597, he quarreled with the new Danish king and went into exile to Prague, where he became the imperial astronomer there. Tycho was raised within one of the most influential Danish noble families and was extremely polite. He attended a banquet in Prague where he did not want to excuse himself from the table in order to go pee. He thought that he would be, or that would be extremely impolite, so he held his pee until the end of the banquet. However, when he arrived home, the overholding caused infection so bad that he could not pee normally and died 11 days later. What? Yeah. Dude, dude held held his pee for too long and he died. Oh, man. You know what, listener? Let that be a lesson to every single one of us. When it's time to go, it's time to go. Pee your pants. I don't care. Yeah. Do it. Just let it go. Pee right now. See, they didn't have ashtrays. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, stop and pee. Pee your pants. Right now. You look now. like you're peeing right now. Are you I, peeing right now? I hear you peeing. What? Are you... Hey, our, our, Belg- our Belgian listener's back. She's European. And she's gone again. <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey, you didn't you didn't let me ask a question on that first story. How big did that pocket have to be for a four and a half foot beard? That's a big know. pocket. I don't think it is. I think you can shove a lot of hair in a little pocket. What a weird thing. Oh, My four life is feet? weird. I, I get to say some weird, weird things on this show, but that that just made me... Gr- I don't... I don't know. Okay. Let me tell you about Chrysippus. Which is, if you have a cat that doesn't have a name, that's a perfect name for it. Just name it Chrysippus. <laughs> Chrysippus. Chrysippus was a Greek philosopher from the 3rd century BC, and he was part of the school of Stoicism. He was even said to be the second founder of Stoicism after Zeno of Sidium. Building on the work of Zeno, or Zeno rather, he produced numerous writings and teachings on the basic theories and logics of Stoicism. Notably, he developed the system of propositional logic, which we now use in math, 
physics, programming, languages, etc. It is the logic of the if-then statement, which may sound very common since today, but was a mind-blowing discovery thousands of years ago. The philosopher that produced such serious work had a death that could sound too difficult to be taken seriously. It was said that Chrysippus died from laughing too much when he saw a donkey eating a fig. <laughs> what? He saw a donkey eating a fig and died of laughter? No. That's what it says. He saw a donkey eating a fig and found the scene so funny that he could not stop laughing until he lost consciousness and died in this fit of laughter at the age of 73. I'm just wondering maybe at 73 if there was another thing or two going on with him. Now, hold on a second, Scott, because if you saw like a monkey smoking a cigarette, you'd laugh at that too. It's just an animal doing a ridiculous I, thing. I And I have. I have. I laughed when I saw a monkey smoking a cigarette. I mean, have you ever seen like a puppy running around with a bone that's too big for it? I'm just saying the animals yeah. doing things is funny. So I don't, I don't fault him. I mean, I feel like there's worse ways to go out than laughing yourself to death. With laughing? Oh yeah. Uh, Jean Baptiste Lully was an Italian born French musician and dancer. He was very talented and accomplished in music from composition, violin, guitar, and opera to dancing. In 1653, the king to be, Louis XIV appointed him the royal composer for instrumental music. His music became so indispensable for the autocracy or aristocrat for the aristocracy that in 1660 King Louis uh, made Loli the royal music and music master of the royal family. His music career was accomplished and prosperous when he unfortunately killed himself by accident while conducting music. In the past, musicians used heavy staff or heavy staffs, a long stick made from wood or metal to conduct music by banging the staff on the ground to indicate the timing of the music. It was only in the 19th century that batons, small light wands, became popular as the way to conduct music by drawing lines in the air. So Lully was using the large staff to conduct music in celebration of King Louis XIV's recovery from surgery. A celebration of illness recovery ironically causes his own illness. During the performance, he accidentally struck his foot with the staff. The injury caused infection that required the removal of his leg to save his life. However, Lily refused to have his leg amputated because he still wanted to be able to dance. Thus, the infection spread all over his body, and he died two months later, and now he's dancing in his grave, the dumb idiot. <laughs> I need an amputation, but if I get it, I'm not going to be able to dance. So I'll just go ahead and die so I can't dance anyway. I must dance. I don't know why Christopher Walken came over to France and said that. Um, <laughs> hey. That's gross. You wanting to dance. Uh, Sam. There's, you know, there's a, lot of, a lot of infection going on in your stories there. Well, I didn't make these up. Uh, Sam Wardell was a lamplighter in Flatbush, New York in the 1880s. His job involved, let me guess, lighting lamps. 
gosh, this is a terrible website. Uh, his job involved turning on the street lamps when night fell and then turning them off when dawn came. It was not an easy job to wake up so early every single morning. An alarm that could be easily snoozed was not enough for this task, so he developed his own alarm, a system to guarantee that he would wake up for sure. He connected a usual alarm clock by a wire to his shelf, then put a 10-pound stone on the shelf. In this way, when the alarm went <laughs> off, the shelf would be dragged down with the fall of the heavy stone, making a sound that would be too hard to sleep through. The system worked wor pretty well until one day he killed himself with the alarm. For a Christmas party to which he invited his friends over, Sam moved around the bed in order to accommodate the or to accommodate the party. After the celebration, he was so drunk and tired that he misplaced his bed under the shelf. The next morning, as usual, the alarm went off, but this time the shelf and the 10-pound stone fell right onto his poor head, crushing it. Wow. I saw this on the Flintstones once. Now, the good news on the Flintstones is it only ended up with a huge goose egg. <sighs> right. Have you ever seen anybody get, like, a real goose egg, like one you could, like, throw a horseshoe at and you could, like, wiggle around it? <laughs> I've never seen one quite that big, but I I've mean, seen a goose egg or two. I, I understand where they're getting it from. I'm just saying, I would I would personally get hit in the head more often if a giant flesh volcano rose out of my forehead. <laughs> if, if I got turned so into... then we could throw horseshoes at you? <laughs> yeah, I'd be like a human unicorn, just galloping around <laughs> all majestic-like with my mane flowing in the wind. And I'd go up to you and be like, nay, Scott, throw a horseshoe at me. And then, oh like, my. ding off my eye, and I'd be like, ah! Hmm. Then my eye would bulge out into a giant eyeball volcano. Uh, I might be... Days that might be this week's episode title, Flesh Volcano. <laughs> Flesh Volcano, yeah. Hey, Everybody guess what, not. everyone? Uh, we do a show here at Mash and Sackcloth, and... Believe it or not, it's not telling weird and macabre stories. Uh, I mean, that's actually part of it now because we've been doing that for, for several weeks. But uh, another thing we do is we talk about the show MASH. For those of you who don't know, MASH is, MASH is an incredibly old show uh, made right around, I think, when video cameras were first invented. <laughs> And it stars a bunch of misogynistic pigs doing illegal things. Okay. Uh, this week's I'm episode... I'm MASH, by the way. I stand by what I say. Um, this week's episode... I said what I said. ...is season one, episode 15. If you're keeping track at home, that means we are uh, well over halfway through the first season. But I did the math. It, it, it's going to take 12 weeks to do each season, and there's seven seasons. <sighs> We're going to be a while. Okay, this one's called Tuttle. And for the first time in, in weeks, I had to actually look up some legal, uh, some legal definitions on some things. Because I didn't know what it was called, but I knew it was illegal when I saw it. <laughs> Surely not. This show. This, this episode had illegal activities. I, I, this this is probably my favorite episode so far, though. Oh, it's it, it's my favorite episode of all time. It's really good. I Matter hope. 
I hope it's not the best episode of the entire series because we have so many more episodes to go. I would really hate yeah, if this was the best. Hey, listen, we need to make a pact right now that when we get down to camp in Beckley in June, we we need to have a Tuttle there. And maybe <laughs> by the end of the week, we'll have him eaten by a bear. Is it going to look like Radar, only a girl with little tiny breasts? That's a quote from this episode, people. That's the level of writing you're getting when you're watching MASH. Had to bring that up, didn't you? I have things to I, like. I have things to do. Like I have a child at home. Have you introduced him to Tuttle? No. Although uh, when I sat down to watch the episodes tonight, and the mask theme song started, he looked up and he's like, "Hey, our TV's just like Grandma and Grandpa's." <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they're watching a lot of MASH out there uh, in MASH land. Oh, that's great. <sighs> oh, the good news is, is no one has watched this at all since we've started. You haven't had a single viewer. So, I think really? we're doing great. Well, we didn't advertise yeah. it, and we didn't share it, and uh, we were we showed up late. a half an hour later than the time we said we were going to be on here. So, I don't blame anyone. Yeah. Okay. Tuttle. This episode opens with Hawkeye and Trapper smuggling some medical supplies to Sister Teresa, who is, as you may have guessed, a nun who runs the local orphanage. When she attempts to thank them, they're like, nah, we don't need no thanks. This is We're just following orders. Captain Tuttle's the one behind all this kindness and generosity. She's like, well, I'm going to write me a little thank you note to Tuttle. And Hawkeye's like, you can try, but he's never going to get it because he's not real. He didn't say that to her, of course, but he, Tuttle is, or was rather, Pierce's imaginary friend uh, from childhood who he used as a scapegoat, which explains a lot of why Pierce does the things he does and never accepts responsibility. Tuttle did it. I have a I have a person like that myself, but he's not imaginary. I always say Guyler did it. That's cool. Um, did you ever have an imaginary friend? I don't think so. I don't remember having one. I did. I I did. Like I have I have vivid memories of my imaginary friend. His name was Michael and he was all mm -hmm. red because that was my favorite color. So he was all it, red. He was just a red person. He used to buckle him up. Play together, good places. Yeah, buried the bodies. We did lots of things together. Um, no, I mean it was a serious. Uh, it was a serious imaginary friend. I would buckle him up in the car. If somebody sat on him where he was sitting. I would yell at him. Wow! Like get up off Michael. Hey. That, that that should be the name of our guy at camp, Michael Tuttle. Michael Tuttle, right. Yeah. Uh, so, Radar, who knows that Tuttle doesn't actually exist, prepares another set of requis requisition forms in order to, to get more supplies to go to this orphanage. And he manages to persuade 
Henry, the the CEO of this year outfit, to countersign uh, uh, this requisition, telling Henry that, of course, Tuttle is real. He just had breakfast with him. And Henry is such an idiot that he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I don't know how this man puts his pants on in the morning. He is the single most incompetent nincompoop I have ever seen put on screen. And Radar is an accomplice to everything. Radar's everything. An, Radar is an evil criminal genius. If you don't realize that by now, then... Yes. So... His prison time is going to be far more than anybody else's. I mean, he stole a Jeep. He's doing all this stuff. Anyways, Radar's like, here, just sign it and shut up. You know you met Tuttle, and you know you put him inside of... of or in charge of buying all the supplementary supply or supplies, just sign it, Henry. But Fuck. while discussing this, the the concept of officer for the day comes up, where apparently an officer is put in charge of the entire mass unit uh, for the day. I know. This is an imaginative title. Uh, and they were like, and Henry's like, who's, who's officer of the day? And, and Radar's like, oh, you know, it's just Frank. It's always Frank, because Frank volunteers for it. And Henry's like, well, what about Tuttle? Has he ever done it? I want Tuttle to do it. Oh, great. Now Tuttle doesn't exist, and now he's supposed to be in charge of the entire MASH. What a pickle we got ourselves into this year, Vern. Uh, naturally... Hey. You may, have heard, you may have heard me say this before. This is a great idea. Yeah. Imaginary man in charge of the whole mass unit. What can Ima- go wrong? Imaginary man. Hey, we have a comment now. I don't know what that means or what was yeah, said. Yeah, it's from me. It says, oh. it says, give me tittle. You're an idiot. Are you the one watching our broadcast right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Zach, I felt really bad for us. You're an idiot, but I love you. (laughs) Yeah, the the comment is, give me Tuttle. Uh, I should add to it. Give me Tuttle or give me death. At least we're entertaining to ourselves. Uh, Naturally, when Frank Burns (laughs) discovers that he isn't the officer of the day, he gets all sad and mopey about it because he wants to find out who this Tuttle guy is who's trying to to step in on on his territory. Now, Radar manages to stall Frank so Hawkeye and Trapper can forge a dossier on Tuttle. And after Frank and Margaret... Hot Lips Houlihan read the forged dossier. They attempt to call General Clayton to confirm his existence because here's the thing. Old Hot Lips read that dossier. It's like, oh, he's 6'4", less than 200 pounds, got hazel eyes. Mm, I want me a, a slice of Tuttle. I want some chocolate-covered Tuttle. I was thinking like turtles, you know, like those... Caramel and peanuts mm-hmm. and chocolate and stuff. But they're just called turtles. There's no joke there. <laughs> there's, there's not a pun I can make. <laughs> uh, give me turtle. 
But because the phone is land, ran through a, a switchboard and Radar is best friends with the switchboard off operator named, named Sparky, Radar is able to pretend to call General Clayton, but have it actually come back to the 4077th where Hawkeye grabs the phone and impersonates and sexually harasses Margaret. But he does confirm Tuttle's existence. And after this, things get a little wacky. Hawkeye and Trapper realize that Tuttle hasn't been paid in 14 months. So they put in a request for back pay. Why would they... (laughs) Yeah, why? Why exactly? You know, for a group of doctors, they're all pretty dumb. So Tuttle hadn't been paid in 14 months. So they put in a request for back pay. And when a finance officer comes with the money, Hawkeye pretends to be Tuttle by wearing a surgical masks and asks for all the money as well as any future pay to be given directly to Sister Teresa's orphanage because, of course, Tuttle is independently wealthy and doesn't need his military pay. General Clayton finds... Yeah, Tuttle's just the best guy you'd ever want to meet. But General Clayton finds out about Tuttle's generosity and he definitely wants to be seen giving this man an award. And so he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a, I'm gonna give you a citation. And again, I'm like, a citation? Why? What do you do? But then I was like, oh yeah, duh, Zach. We looked at this up several episodes ago. Citation's not always a bad thing. Then don't call it a citation. That's like saying, oh, I just got a, a speeding certificate. It's dumb. <laughs> I get a parking certificate. You know what? I probably wouldn't be so mad about getting a speeding ticket if they called it a speeding certificate. Yeah, uh, you know, funny. you know how fast you were going. Now nah, you looks like you're going 20 miles over the speed limit. Uh, I'm going to have to reward you with a speeding certificate. <laughs> you know, they can have different colors too, depending upon how fast you were going. Yeah, and they can let you, you know, keep you it. Like and you can frame it in your office. Be like, "Oh, did you go to did you, did you get your diploma? Oh no, that's my speeding certificate. <laughs> I was going fifty <laughs> in a school zone. That's why it's yellow. <laughs> <laughs> you got a gold gold speeding certificate. <laughs> I was the fastest. Uh, Clayton arrives. And the whole camp is gathered to witness this reward, all except for Tuttle, of course. And after a while, Hawkeye comes forward with a parachute and explains how Tuttle, just like all the other doctors here, was an absolute moron, and he accidentally jumped out of a helicopter without his parachute to respond to an urgent call to perform field surgery. So, in Hawkeye's version, not only this man too stupid to put on a parachute, but another person dies because of Tuttle's stupidity. Yep. Oh, Tuttle. Tuttle, Tuttle. And so there's just an impromptu funeral for Tuttle where Hawkeye gives a moving eulogy saying there's a little bit of Tuttle in, in all of us. In fact, you might say that all of us together made up Tuttle. And then Radar laughs at this. And he also mentions that Tuttle uh, named Sister Teresa 
and her orphanage is the sole beneficiary of his military death benefits. What a minch. Seriously, mm. this guy. Whew. Now, when Radar... There'll never, there'll never be another shuttle. Now, one thing that, that Hawkeye gave to General Clayton was the dog tags of Tuttle, which means that they brought back his mm. dog tags and his unused parachute, but not his body. Great job, guys. Uh, and when Radar asks Hawkeye and Trapper where they came up with Tuttle's dog tags and parachute, Trapper claimed that they were from Major Murdoch. When asked who Major Murdoch was, Trapper replied he was Tuttle's replacement. To which Pierce chimed in, oh yeah, I had breakfast with him this morning. So they're going to do it all over again. Yep, Murdoch. Michael Tuttle Murdoch. No, it's not. First of all, Tuttle's first name was Jonathan. What are you talking about? Jonathan Tuttle. Murdoch. Michael. I don't know. We all need an imaginary friend. So do you still talk to yours? No. I am 31 years old, Scott. My imaginary friend has been replaced with the dark passenger years ago. Now I just try to silence that dark voice that whispers, do it in the dead of night. You, you and Kelsey, you and Kelsey don't drive somewhere and you slam on the brakes real quick and go, looks like my old friend Michael. No, because my brother-in-law's name is Michael, so that would be pretty, pretty confusing. This is the part of the episode, friends, where we kind of get quiet as we look for a transition to the no, next episode. No, it's not. This is the part where I lay out the crimes that were committed in this episode. Oh, man. Do we have time for all that? Uh, we have identity fraud, grand theft, um, defacing a Bible, which isn't a crime, but I just don't like it. They glued Frank's Bible together. Uh impersonating an officer, payroll fraud, insurance fraud, and a new word that I just learned today, pseudocide. Which means faking a death. Like parachute. No, just faking any death is pseudocide. Are you saying shoot? Shooto? No, pseudo. Like pseudo. P-S-O-U-D-O-C-I-D-E. Transition! Okay, here we go. Here we go for the next episode. Titled, My Nickname in High School, Ring Banger. (laughs) (laughs) So did... (laughs) Ring Banger. Did you have a classroom? <laughs> I can't. I can't. I hate this show. <laughs> I hate it so much. I want to be done. Can we just be done? We could be, but hey, did you have a class ring? I did have a class ring. And did you but like I- bang it on the table? 
No, I, I I couldn't tell you where my class ring is at right now. If you paid me, which I feel bad because it was an expensive ring. But, you probably let Kelsey wear it, don't you? No, it was it was lost long before Kelsey. I think I sent it in to the people that made it to get it resized, and it never came back. Oh, really? Yeah, but I that's been well over ten years now, so you just cut your losses. Yeah. Episode. You past. Episode sixteen of season one is called Ring Banger, and it aired January twenty first, nineteen seventy three. And I think this is our first guest star. And he's a good one. I, I do not think they used him to his potential, but um, this episode opens up in the OR while Hawkeye is removing a bullet from the butt of a colonel named Buzz Brighton, who gets invited to the swamp after his operation for some... 8 a.m. gin and mental rest. Buzz Brighton is played by the late, great Leslie Nielsen of Airplane fame. He is has provided me with so many quotes over the years. I I can't even tell you how many times. Many somebody, of which we can't repeat on this live episode. No, but there was... And, Anytime somebody's about ready to do something important, I'd go up to him and go, I just wanted to say, we're all counting on you. <laughs> and just walk away. <laughs> Surely you can't be serious. I'm deadly serious. And don't call me Shirley. Call that was him. Shirley. He was also, uh, he also played uh, a detective in a series of film called The Naked Gun, who was uh, co-starred with O.J. Simpson. Simpson, yep. The Juice. He actually had a pretty good uh, little film career going before he uh, allegedly murdered his his wife and her, or his ex-wife and her husband, mm-hmm. and then wrote a book Wrong called If I Did It. Yeah, If I Did It. Anyways, you know, Leslie- he, had the, he, had the, he had the Naked Gun, uh, the Naked Gun series. Uh, Hertz commercials, and he was also an NFL commentator. Whoa, he had Hertz commercials? Man. Yep. I was just thinking he was in his own movie series, but I didn't know Hertz commercials. He was more successful than I Hertz. thought. Hertz, I just, baby. Wanna, Hertz. Wanna, what? Hertz. He was also in a couple of the scary movies. Basically, he invented the uh, whole satire genre. For those of you listening to me poor, I'm not peeing because I'm afraid. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. Of holding my, my pee too long that I'm going to get an infection and die. He's not waiting, folks. I just, had to open not up, waiting. I just had to open up Stanley and get a long, get lukewarm Stanley. drag of coffee. Now, it was lukewarm not because of Stanley. Stanley would have kept it hot. It was lukewarm because when I poured it in the thermos, it was already off. And I didn't know that until afterwards. Please pardon me. Stan Lee. Okay. <laughs> that was a callback. A stupid, stupid yes, callback. Yes, it was. 
All right. So they're pulling bullets out of people's previous episodes. Nah, it's two episodes ago. Stanliness is next to godliness. Actually, one of the funnier episodes we've made. Uh, And I know Mm -hmm. what you're saying. Are you telling me it's funnier than this one? Well, I've been to a couple funerals that were funnier than this. Anyways. (laughs) Hawkeye. Brighton. And Trapper John are all getting sloshed at 8 a.m. After pulling a bullet out of Buzz's butt. Now, when the two doctors suggest that Buzz get some mental rest, he says, mental rest is for sissies. Which I find problematic. You shouldn't call people sissies, Mr. Buzz. But, as someone who suffers from anxiety, yeah, he's kind of right. I'm faking it. Um... (laughs) It's just a figment. This is a figment of my imagination. Uh, But they were looking at at old Buzz's charts, and it seems like he has uh, more casualties than any other colonel. But he's taking less ground, meaning that he's just getting his boys killed for no reason. And so Hawkeye and Trapper are like, we're going to have to keep him around to save these fellers' lives. Uh, So when talking to Radar about Brighton's record, it's revealed... That he's the most healthy man in the entire world. He's never failed a physical examination. He's been shot in the butt a hundred times, but that's never slowed him down. But Hawkeye knows, healthy or not, this man needs to stay out of battle for the sake of these innocent young boys fighting over in Korea! (laughs) Oh, man. Get him off the line. Right. But Frank idolizes this Buzz guy because Frank's a true-blooded American and Buzz is an American hero. So Frank's like, we need to get this guy out there fighting fighting the Krauts. That was World War II. Who were they fighting? I almost, I was, nope, I didn't ask that question. I almost asked who did they fight in Korea, but I didn't. I didn't ask that question. Thank you. Everybody knows they're fighting the Vietnamese. (laughs) (laughs) So, Frank just assumes that uh, Hawkeye and Trapper just really like Buzz, like having him as a drinking buddy, and that's why they're not discharging him. And uh, Frank wants to get him out of there as soon as possible. As Buzz... Finishes doing some push-ups for some reason. Hawkeye and Trapper just so happen to be walking by having a conversation. Implying that he has a medical problem. And he's finally told that they want him to stay for observation. But Buzz is opposed to this idea. Because observation is for sissies and communists. And he tells... uh, Or he tries to tell Henry... That he wants out, but before he's able to do that, Hawkeye and Trapper insinuate that Henry is an alcoholic and probably shouldn't be trusted with your medical health. And he's like, well, what about Frank? Can't I go to Frank for some medical advice? And they're like, well, you could, but he's a homosexual. And that... (laughs) 
Poor Buzz. He's just out of luck right now. Yeah, it's between an alcoholic and a gay guy. Uh, and so he's like, well, I don't want to do... I don't want to go to Frank. He, he's he's a degenerate. Their words, not mine. Uh, and so he's he basically is just tr- going to try to convince Trapper and... and and Hawkeye to, to let him go, but they're going to watch him for a day or so. Frank finds Buzz in the swamp alone and tries to give him an examination, first by touching his leg. That didn't go well. And then by touching his hand to take a pulse. Didn't go he, well either. Yeah, he, he immediately gets gets nervous about being touched. By Frank and Frank does come across as uh, a homosexual man, just with his mannerisms and just his general frankness. And I'm not saying that in like a negative way, but I mean, come on, it's Frank. I don't know what I'm saying. Cut point. Um, oh wait, we can't do that in this episode. <laughs> not tonight. Uh, so as part of the examination. I'm sorry, lost my place. Buzz doesn't want anything to do with Frank, especially because he found some high-heeled shoes under under Frank's bed. (laughs) But, you know, Hawkeye, that silly goose, put him there. Frank is horrified about being touched by a homosexual because he is a man in the 50s. Hawkeye then moves the PA system, and all of Buzz's stuff out of his original tent that he was staying in into another tent. So that way, when Buzz started to go to his tent, they'd be like, oh, that's the wrong tent, Buzz. And Buzz would be like, of course it's my tent. I've been here all week. But then he'd be like, oh, no, all my stuff's in this other tent. I must be going crazy. That's the whole plan, right? And they're slipping him milk and stuff that he didn't order, but saying that he did. Really, they're just trying to get him uh, uh, convinced that there's something mentally wrong with him so he won't go back to the front lines and order young troops into battle and into their death. Man, this show's hilarious. Yeah, this wasn't my favorite one. Finally, Hawkeye and Trapper set up a scene where... Houlihan would examine examine Colonel... Finally, Hawkeye and Trapper set up a scene where Houlihan would examine Colonel Brighton in a state of pity and get everyone all set up for the, the, the scene to take place. Hot Lips goes and talks to Hawkeye. That makes no sense. This What I'm reading is, is somebody else's writing and what they just said... Doesn't make any sense. Let me just run you through this real quick, because we're about ready to crash and burn real quick. Uh, Margaret goes in to the, the swamp and basically goes up to Hawkeye and be like, level with me. Why are you keep are keeping uh, Buzz here? He's an American hero. He should be out there leading their men. And Hawkeye's like, oh, he's an old sick man. And Margaret's like, but I have his charts. He's never been sick before in his entire life. And Hawkeye's like, yeah, but we didn't want to write down what was wrong with him and tarnish his military record. And she's like, oh, man. What what can I do? And then Hawkeye's like, why don't you come on to him and make him feel useful and young again? Because this show's gross. And she does. She does do that. She goes in uh, to the colonel's tent and is like, hey there, colonel. I'm Hot Lips. And she's wearing 
like Daisy Dukes, which are also military green, which made me ask if those were Army Regulation short shorts that she was wearing. I don't think it was. But Frank is also told that Margaret's going into the tent with this this buzz guy, and he's getting all jealous because Margaret is his woman he's having an affair on his wife with. And so he goes in there, and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And then Margaret's like, oh, don't mind Frank. He's just jealous. Now, uh, Buzz thinks that Frank is jealous because she he's rubbing up on the, the hot lips girl, and Frank wants to be rubbing all up on Buzz because, remember, Frank's gay. And then Henry comes in, who was gotten drunk by Hawkeye and Trapper, and... He's like, hi, I'm just like, oh, and he's just slurringly drunk. And Buzz is just like, oh no, I'm crazy. I got to get out of here. And so they put him in an ambulance and he's sent home to the States. Did I miss anything? <laughs> Not really. Well, no, the favorite part, my favorite part of the show is where he had to qualify with his pistol, uh, Colonel Blake, and he got eight out of 10. Just missed his uh, right. uh, free money. Toward his, uh, toward his gun. Which makes no sense, because I did not set up that in context, so... There you go. I mean, I stone it out. Guys, it's not a good episode. Let's just leave it at there. Yeah. Tuttle, Tuttle though, is a great episode. Yeah. Tuttle's great. Ring banger, not so much. Ring banger, ring knocker, ring banger. Ring banger, is that it? Yep. Next week's is going to be fun because it's titled Sometimes You Hear the Bullet. I bet that's going to be just a laugh riot. It's All right. A sad one. Good. I'm done. I'm done with this stupid episode of this podcast. I'm done with this stupid episode of MASH. I am going to finally just say listen. For MASH and Sackcloth, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Scott Judge. And your day was not made any better by by listening to this. In fact, it was probably made worse. Probably a lot worse. And I'm sorry. I love you. That's what we do. But uh, I will say that probably day wasn't made better, but it could have been a lot worse. For example, on April 19th, 1912, the acclaimed but often impenetrable author Gertrude Stein received the following rejection letter, cruelly mocking her eclectic writing style from London publisher Arthur C. Field, dated April 19th, 1912. Dear Madam, I am only one. Only one. Only one. Only one being one at the same time. Not two. Not three. Only one. Only one life to live. Only 60 minutes and one hour. Only one pair of eyes. Only one brain. Only one being. Being only one. Having only one pair of eyes. Having only one time. Having only one life. I cannot read your manuscript three or four times. Not even one time. Only one look. Only one look is enough. Hardly one copy would sell here. Hardly one. Hardly one. Many thanks. I'm returning the manuscript by registered post. Only one manuscript by one post. Wow. <laughs> good night, everybody. That's a bad day. Have a good one. <laughs>